I think I'm going to miss this tent, but I don't expect to be in here very much longer, so I just want you to know. <laughs> maybe another month, maybe, I don't know. As soon as the cloud moves, we move, so we've been doing that this whole time and season and stuff. Not trying to be political, not trying to make a statement about anything, except we love Jesus and we do what he says, that's it. So we just do for what he says for us, and so I've been very excited. It's so nice to see everybody here and, and you at home. Glad you could uh, be with us or in your car, wherever you are, and uh, I want to talk a little bit today about what I call the Daniel generation. I believe we are a Daniel generation. And uh, Daniel, if you know anything about Daniel, he was a, a, an amazing, amazing prophet that lived in a time of great exile and trial uh, for Israel. He was actually de deported in the year 605 B.C. by the Babylonians as the Babylonians destroyed Judah. And uh, he was taken captive and he began to serve in the king's courts. He began to actually serve in the government. And he was so amazing at his job that he began to be elevated and grew and grew and grew in stature. Not only was he good at his job, but he was also good in the spirit. He had this incredible prophetic anointing that turned out to help uh, the highest levels of, of the government. I believe that's what Christians will be doing in these days. We will be serving in excellence and uh, we'll be serving in just an unusual uh, supernatural way as well. If you look at that paragraph uh, underneath the Daniel generation on your outline, it says, Daniel's young man was deported to Babylon with other Jews in 605 B B.C. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, king of B B Babylon... B B B B B B <laughs> That's a funny word. Hopefully I won't babble on today. Anyway, king of Babylon finished conquering Judah in 587 B.C., destroying the temple and taking even more captives. God used Daniel and his friends to influence the highest echelons of Babylonian authority through humble service, supernatural revelation, and radical prayer, a formula that I think uh, God wants to repeat in our day. I think this is the way we address this day as well. So let's just talk a little bit about humble service for a moment. I believe that the Lord's raising up, as I said today, today a very radical generation. I don't mean necessarily age-wise, but I think it's certainly a young-oriented and uh, one of those uh, ways he's raising them up is through very naturally talented Christians. Man, I was watching something the other day, and I've been watching other things uh, on YouTube and other videos that just are astounding to me, because this crisis has released some of the most uh, intelligent believers, some of the most uh, incredibly gifted believers in the natural I've ever seen. I, I saw this uh, lady, her name was Simone Gold. I don't know if you've seen her yet. She stood up there, and she's got a degree in medicine as well as a law degree and a couple other degrees. And I listened to her explain this crisis that we're in. And it was just like light was going everywhere, you know, from a scientific point of view, from a Christian worldview, every which way you could look at it, the truth came out. It was just incredible. But what I was amazed at, and I've been watching this, I don't know if you've been watching this, this younger generation of leaders uh, uh, in the news media as well and other places, they're arising. These Daniels, these Shadrach, Meshachs, and Abednegoes are arising all over the place in the spiritual world and in the natural world. They're coming and they have incredible talent. Some of those educated people you want to, not that that's the main thing, but I mean, just incredible where you wouldn't expect to see Christian leaders expressing a Christian worldview. That's what's happened during this crisis. They have come to the front and they're leading the charge. And I just think it's amazing. Politicians and scientists and all kinds of people. It's just incredible. And uh, so this is the way Daniel was. 
But he had also this other radically side, spiritually gifted side, prophetic side. And both of those are emerging in these days. I want to start with Daniel chapter 1. And uh, I want to just read a few verses. And uh, I'll also pick up with verse 17 to 21. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia, and put in the treasure of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. So he took some of these young uh, people that uh, were kind of from the nobility, a little more educated. Young men without any physical effect, defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was, teach, he was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names, uh, Daniel, the name Belteshar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. He asked the chief uh, official for permission not to defile himself in this way, so he even talked them into letting him eat the way he wanted to eat, right? And so he wanted to be different from the very, very beginning because uh, Jewish laws in terms of eating were very, very specific, and he, he wanted to follow the Lord with all his heart. Now we pick up with verse 17. To these four young men God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. Now, there's those two things that we see there in this Daniel generation. There's the natural gifting, intelligence, but also this dreams and visions, prophetic thing, this prophetic side. And I believe that this is where the Lord is taking us. The highest qualifications in every area and arena of life. Why wouldn't we be? We have the Lord with us. And why wouldn't God make us smart? And he does. And I've just been watching this uh, uh, year after year, uh, Christians invading whole new areas and being the scientists and being the, the, the uh, inventors and so on and so forth. You're going to see that more. And you know why we're going to see that more? Because I'm asking God for that. Yeah. I'd like somebody else to be in charge of Google. <laughs> Not to be too offensive, but that'd be nice. Or convert the guy that's over it. Either way, God, I'll take it. <laughs> At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. And every matter of wisdom and understanding of which, about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. And this is a very important point. He remained there until, you know, the first year of King Cyrus, what that means, and that's actually Daniel, they call him Darius the Mede, but basically uh, we know a lot about Cyrus, right? We have some reference recently uh, with regard to President Trump. But anyway, uh, this guy was over the Medo-Persian Empire, and he's the one that displaced the, uh, the uh, Babylonians. But he didn't appear until 539 B.C., so Daniel waited for this. <laughs> Daniel waited, and he was there serving in the courts of government all those years from 605 B.C. all the way down to 539 B.C., and he was looking for one thing, 
praying for one thing. We'll get to that in a moment. Praying that the Jews would be allowed to return to Israel because of Jeremiah's prophecy, because of a prophetic word. There he was, contending, praying continually. Matter of fact, the Bible says he prayed three times a day his entire life, which got him into trouble. We'll get into that in a minute, right? So Nebuchadnezzar, in the course of time, has this crazy dream. And in this dream, you know, he can't understand what in the world it's all about because he basically uh, uh, has this incredible uh, dream that, uh, of what's going to happen to him. Basically, it means he's going to be uh, seven years as an animal. <laughs> that's what he, that's what he was. That the dream was prophesying, and Daniel, Daniel. He, so no one could interpret the dream, and so Daniel basically does that, and um, and so <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar is so upset at the dream, which basically points to this, that he says, "All right, you guys, there's no interpreting this thing. You're going to have to know. Tell me what I dreamed, or I'm going to kill you." <laughs> which concerned Daniel a little bit, <laughs> and his friends, right? Tell me the dream. And then interpret, or I'm going to kill you dead, right? And he meant it. He was a little bit crazy. So, verse 10. The astrologers answer the king, there's no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. I'm telling you, in this time, there's lots of things that science can do. There's lots of things that false religions can try to do. But there's a limit. There's a limit. There's something that only... God territory, nothing can mimic it in any way, shape, or form. And this was one of those events. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods. And by the way, king, they don't live among the humans. Well, this didn't uh, soothe the situation at all. <laughs> so this king was a little crazy, right? This is Nebuchadnezzar. He made him so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. They probably should have just not said anything. But now they're about to die which includes Daniel and his friends. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. Verse 14. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him. I like this. This is really important. With wisdom and tact. I like that. He gave wisdom and tact. There's, there's something humble as you read this story over and over again. I've been through it many, many times. There was something humble about him. Something he had this incredible revelatory anointing, but he was humble, you know? He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? What, what, what's the real story here? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went into the king. He actually goes into the king, and he asked for a little bit of time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Well, I don't know how much time he was going to give him, but I, I have a feeling it wasn't going to be much, right? Then Daniel... <clears throat> returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends. This is verse 17, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Pray for mercy. Have mercy. That's a very powerful prayer, by the way. When you don't know what else to pray, pray, have mercy on me. It's very comforting. It's very powerful, by the way. That's not too simple of a prayer to pray. So if you get in trouble, cry out, have mercy, especially if you don't know what else to say. Very powerful. I've done that many, many times. Very effective prayer. Simple, but right to the point. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the God, name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. And, and so on and so on. He's just so, he's thanking God for this because he actually gets the dream and then he turns around and tells Nebuchadnezzar not only his dream, but he gives him the interpretation. 
Wow. And at the end of this, uh, obviously, the, uh, the guy is uh, deeply, deeply affected. Look at verse 30, though. This is the part that I like. He says, As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me not because I have greater wisdom than anyone else alive. Well, he did have greater wisdom than anyone else alive. Right? Look how humble he is. But so that your majesty, and that's the point. He didn't lose the point. Here's the point of this amazing gifting that I got. It's for the kings of the earth. It's for you who are in position of authority over the whole earth to know the interpretation that you may understand what went through your mind. And this thing happened anyway. He actually, after this, about 12 months later, goes crazy. It's in the wilderness like a wild animal. But at the end of those seven years, he was a very humble Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> but it had been revealed to him in advance. So this, but the thing is, I want you to get, because I've seen a lot of prophetic uh, things going on, TV and everything. And to me, the one thing they seem to lack right now is they need a little salt right now. They just, because of the medium sometimes with regard to television, it, it, I don't know what it is because we've watched television our whole life. Maybe you just sort of want to get in that mode, you know, or you just sort of Hollywood mode or whatever. I don't know what it is, but I've just noticed as they've spoke, I just kind of, oh, ugh, boy, mm. <laughs> you know, <laughs> You know, wow, if you just got that credit revelation, you probably should be a little bit more humble or at least look more humble because it just looks wrong. I don't know, you know. Anyway, I don't know if anybody else had that feeling. But to me, that's got me because I'm looking at this guy who's, and he's getting more. I mean, there's more stuff to come in this book of Daniel. I mean, I don't know how many people have ever had the revelation that Daniel had. And also the, the thing that intrigues me about this is, is the Daniel generation. Is this where I think we're going? I think there'll be young men and women, old men and women, whatever, different kinds of people, but we'll get into the actual government and service of God in the natural and the supernatural, and they'll mix because as we move into the end time, it's going to be more and more necessary and more and more important, not only for the God's people, but for the world. We aren't just going to survive this thing. I'm convinced that the end time church is to thrive in these times. We are supposed to be a Daniel generation. And guess what? Look what the king does. King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate. I mean, he goes, lays himself. Now, this guy was a little bit proud. <laughs> he had a few problems, like making images and making people worship the image of himself and all kinds of things. But when Daniel comes around, he falls prostrate before Daniel and said to Daniel, surely your God is the God of gods. I get it, right? Which is really uh, an incredible thing. And that's what Daniel was communicating uh, to him. Um, so anyway, in, in verse 48, it says that the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men. All these other rulers. He's like next to uh, Nebuchadnezzar. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king said, hey, remember my friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they were administrators over the whole province of Babylon while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. What an amazing story. We should be praying for this kind of stuff. People who are naturally gifted and supernaturally gifted mixed together at the highest levels. This is absolutely possible. For you that are in government or thinking about government, go for it, man. You should go for it with all the heart you got. And also, not just in government, other areas of authority, whether it's in medicine or science or wherever. This is the season for uh, the church. This is the season like never before. This is the season. Male, female, old, young, whatever, you're gifting. Go for it. As I'm saying that, I'm stirring something up. 
Lord, I pray as I say that word right there, I pray a seed would be planted. And I pray, Lord, you would raise up mighty Daniels in this season and time, supernaturally equipped and naturally equipped to rule and reign and to help our country and the nations of the world. In Jesus' name. So we read in Daniel chapter 3, like I said a little bit a minute ago, a minute ago uh, Nebuchadnezzar makes this image of gold, 60 cubits high. I think that's about 90 feet if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> he makes an image of gold 90 feet high and 9 feet wide, and he tells everybody to worship it or else. Right? So uh, if you pick up in uh, verse 8, at this time some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zith, zither, what is a zither? Wow, I never thought of that before. Lyre, I barely know what that is. Harp, pipe, I don't know what that is. And all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you've said over the affairs of the province of Babylon. They're jealous now. Cutthroat government, we've seen that, right? This is a, so government doesn't change for the centuries. It's all cutthroat, right? It's a dangerous thing to be in government, especially at the higher echelons, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They, serve, they neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not, I'm, I'm wonder they did, he, it's a wonder he didn't throw in Daniel on this, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, whatever that is, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. All is forgiven. But if you do not worship it, you'll be thrown immediately into a blazing fire. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Hmm. I wonder if uh, perhaps we're in that season sometimes these days. If you don't measure up, if you don't bow down, we're going to ax you. We're going to get rid of you. We're going to do something to mess your reputation up. We're going to do something. This will increasingly be something we're going to have to deal with, right? But look what these guys say. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. Now, this is the guy that has the power to execute them. <laughs> you don't, we, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. This is the kind of thing. We, we have to respect our government, but we also have to honor the Lord first. This is a choice that we'll have to increasingly make, right? Especially if you're working in the government. If we are thrown into, the, thrown into the blazing fire, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty hand, majesty's hands. But look at this. This is the part I really like. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Wow. Powerful. Powerful. Powerful this time. So look what happens. They get thrown in the fire, but nobody burns up. Then Nebuchadnezzar approaches the opening of the blazing service furnace and shouts, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come out here. 
So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego come out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed, their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. (laughs) Not even the smell of fire. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own. Therefore I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces. You know, he was a little rough still. (laughs) He's still a little rough. Be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble. He's getting there. He's a little slow. For no other God can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. I like this. I, I remember, if you look at your outline, the, the theme is humble service. Look, we're going to serve. We're going to do our best. We serve God first. And even if God doesn't deliver us, I'm still going to serve God, right? Humble, not arrogant, humble. They're under authority, two authorities. And as much as they can be, they're under both authorities, the government and, the, and, and, and God. But then there comes the separation at times, which even threaten their very lives. All that to me is humble service to God, and to others. We see both of those side by side, the Daniel generation. Now, I believe God has increasingly given his church revelatory anointing about world leaders and world events. So uh, I want to just read uh, Daniel chapter 4, verse 17. So what happens is, with Nebuchadnezzar, he actually um, has this dream and we're still in that, vi- that dream part of it, the, vi- the dream of what's about to happen. And uh, so verse 17, picking up with that, this decision is announced by messengers that the Holy Ones declare the very verdicts so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives to them, to anyone he wishes, and sets over them the lowliest of people. So these are angels that are announcing this, telling this to Nebuchadnezzar. Right, And so um, I just want to just highlight that just a moment. The Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of people. So God puts in place who he wants to put in place. This is really, really important. And another reason why you should be praying for all your leaders. Right? Asking God to be a part of the decision-making process. But no leader gets put in place without God. I don't know, but sometimes I think that might have got a little muffled in the last election. You know what I'm saying? You have to understand this. In the end, he's over everything. So then you can pray and ask God to rearrange the situation. Always pray for leaders. That's why in Timothy says, first of all, pray for your leaders and all that are in authority, Right? If prayer is just like this sort of little tiny discipline that we do every once in a while or a religious little exercise that we do in church for 10 minutes, forget it. It doesn't mean anything. But if you really believe that what you say and what you pray makes a difference, that you actually change world events, that becomes an incredibly important prayer. And if someone's in there that God appoints them, maybe it's a little rough around the edges, like we've had a few of those, a little rough around the edges, guess what? You can pray for them. And God will shape them up, even against their will. Oh, you're kidding. 
The almighty Republican and Democrat party have all, know all, are everything. Really? No, I think they're still under God. So he can direct their heart despite themselves wherever he wants it to go. So what do we have to do? Pray. Not pray little tiny prayers. Pray big prayers, authoritative prayers. Take on the mantle that God has given us as the body of Christ. So Daniel interprets this dream for Nebuchadnezzar. And I want to just um, read a few more verses here. So he just says, well, you know, if this dream only appeared to your adversaries, it's going to happen. You're going to go through all of these things, right? And, uh, but he says something at the end of this. He says there's going to be seven years and you're going to be an animal out in the wilderness. But look what he says in verse 27. I want to highlight this. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that when you're, then your prosperity will continue. So this guy, King Nebuchadnezzar, is about to be judged you know, for these seven years. But his advice is still the advice for all of us and for every ruler as well. For every time we get in a negative space or place, just go back, take a review of your life, see what's right, what's wrong, let the Holy Spirit bring that to you, be absolutely brutally honest, especially if you're in a situation, difficult situation. And he says, that may be then that your prosperity will continue. Well, at the end of seven years, his prosperity continued, because somewhere along the way, maybe he remembered what Daniel said, and, uh, and he humbles himself, right? Verses 36 and 37. At that time, my sanity was restored. My honor and splendor returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Wow! So this guy wasn't so great. Now he becomes greater than he was before as a result of this. When God brings discipline to us, it's almost for more, not less. So if you're a great person and you get humble, (laughs) believe me, God has more for you, not less. He doesn't beat up with discipline. He's drawing something out. Even this wicked, horrible ruler, as far as I, most of concerned, let's just get rid of him. You know, Nah, let's just let him wander around the wilderness for a few years and let's just see where he's at then. <laughs> he became greater than before. If Nebuchadnezzar can be greater than before, anyone can and you and I can. Right? Don't give up on these people that are pointing to these weird positions. Don't give up. There's lots of stuff going on there at the top with the angels and God and everything. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of Heaven. What? Because everything he does is right and all his ways are just and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. This is the same guy that put up this giant statue of himself. The same guy who was able to throw people in the furnace at a moment's notice, willing to kill all of his leadership because they couldn't tell him his dream. This guy ends up going, you know what? And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Amen. (laughs) So we need to pray that God will keep increasing our prophetic ability even when we appear to fail. I I really believe um, this prophetic anointing. I know it sounds strange, especially to the modern ear and a... uh, uh, worldview that's Western, a Western worldview, which is basically secular orientation. But there are prophets on the earth, and they are arising. There are godly people in high positions, and there are also people that are gaining their prophetic ability. But could I just say this to us? We just need to give 
prophetic anointing time to grow and to develop. It's still fairly immature. But it's growing. We need to give it space. Pray for the people, both the government and also those with the prophetic ability because they will help us to navigate very, very difficult times because there's lots of things coming. And it's really nice if somebody gives a heads up. Wouldn't it, would it be a nice gift to develop? So if they miss it or they don't get it quite right this time, don't kill them, right? Don't, don't ruin them. New Testament prophets are different than the Old Testament, but we're going to need this prophetic activity. We see it played out in this Daniel generation scenario. And I like it because it's in the context of also very educated, godly Christians representing God in high places and doing their thing through just normal pathways and normal godliness and wisdom, right? So if you look at Roman numeral 3, a critical part of the Daniel generation will be a commitment to intercessory prayer. Oh, I can't underemphasize this. After Darius, now this is the next guy that comes and takes Nebuchadnezzar's place. And actually there's a regime change. So what happens is that the Medo-Persian Empire... Uh, begins to uh, uh, attack the Babylonians and eventually take over. And Darius the Mede, which is also known as Cyrus, which, by the way, uh, the Jews call it... I don't know if you've seen that coin. It's crazy. Trump's on the coin like Cyrus. And Have you seen that coin? <laughs> because the Jews, especially the government of, of uh, in, in Israel, were overjoyed to see what happened. You know, they called him Cyrus. You know, they called Trump Cyrus, and they made this thing in commemoration and called him that. It's just an amazing thing. Right? Because what he did was he restored, uh, he, Trump basically declared uh, Israel as a sovereign nation, more importantly, Jerusalem as the capital, right? Amen. Which is, by the way, uh, so get your prophetic ears on. That was an incredible signal. Because our destiny, our prophetic destiny, the world's prophetic destiny is so wound up with that little country near the Mediterranean called Israel, right? And that was a huge change. That was a big thing. So if you don't have any prophetic ears, it just goes rush. But these are the signals that a Daniel generation is paying attention to. Wide awake and alert, right? And that was a huge thing, a huge thing. And even the arising, which might be a little bit easier for some of us to understand, uh, like Jonathan Kahn, uh, this uh, Jewish prophet, the most visible Jewish prophet in the world, and uh, prophet in a unique way. You know, he doesn't have a like grasshopper leg out of his mouth or, you know, wearing strange clothes. He's very highly educated, highly Jewish. And if you read the book, his books, like The Harbinger, for example, and a number of them, and as you look through, and he goes, that's prophetic writing. The Harbinger was a bestseller, one of the most unusual prophetic books that I think have ever been written about our times and days. If you've never read that, and the ones that follow, even, are incredible. And so it helps us to understand that this generation is prophetic. I mean, think about this. Never before in my lifetime have I seen a Jewish uh, prophet come forward in the entire body of Christ and worldwide fame. This in itself is really strange. And I'm really glad for that because Jews have a knack with the prophetic. Do you notice that? You know, it's pretty good. So now they're coming forward. They've been getting saved for years, and now the prophets are coming. It's very helpful. That book, The Harbinger, and other books he's written have been extremely helpful for me to understand where we're at in the time frame 
And more importantly, the warnings and the dangers that the entire world is in, and especially the body of Christ, and to pray accordingly. So here we are. A critical part of the damage generation will be a commitment to intercessory prayer because this is one of the most powerful things we can do. Now, typically with people with prayer, well, you know, you try everything else, and then at the last minute we go, let's pray. No. It's got to be the other way around, guys. That doesn't do any good. All you're doing is you're not praying. You're just hoping, right? So we do the very first thing as a lifestyle is we pray no matter what. It's our lifeblood. It's our lifestyle. It's our connection to God. We talk to God. We ask of God things. We hear back from God the whole thing, right? So look at this. Daniel chapter 6. So there's a new regime in town, right? And let's just read from... And, uh, his name is Darius, also known as Cyrus. He pleased Dari It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel was so distinguished, so distinguished himself among the administrators, this is in the natural, and the satraps by his exceptional abilities that the king planned to set him over the entire kingdom. The whole kingdom. Could you imagine? The ruler of the whole empire, the largest, most powerful empire in the world. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel gets pretty ruthless in those political wins <laughs> in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. He was good at his job. He was a good ruler. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charging against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So these administrators and satraps, they didn't know about the previous bunch. <laughs> they go and make the same mistake. When as a group to the king and said, My king, May King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, now listen to this. This is great. He went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. So he opens the windows. You'd think he would close the windows. No, he opens the windows. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. He didn't change his lifestyle one bit. He'd been doing it through all those years, all the way down to Cyrus, some seven decades, constantly looking, waiting for this time when Israel would return to their natural habitat, right? Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or human except you, your majesty, would be thrown to the lion's den? He says, yes, and of course, then guess what happens? Daniel ends up in the lion's den. So verse 17, A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. And the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertaining being brought to him because he knew they were ripping him off. They knew that this was a scheme. He knew it was true, but he couldn't go back on his word. And he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried into the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Now, I like this next thing. 
Because as he says it, it's this humility thing again. Daniel answered. You know, he could have said, yeah, I'm here, man, and you guys are in big trouble, you know. <laughs> I can't believe you sold me down the river. Look, the lions aren't touching. Look, come here. You try to pet one of them, see what happens to you. <laughs> right? <laughs> My king lived forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouth of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you. And he says, Your Majesty. Wow. How, do you, how does this guy have this authority and power and such humility before the government? There's something about this humble service and anointing and power. The king was overjoyed and he was glad and, and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted God. And the king turns and has all the other guys thrown into the lion's den and are killed instantly by these lions. Evidently the lions were hungry <laughs> still. But you see this amazing thing. Now, Daniel risked his life for the freedom of worship and prayer. Daniel risked his life for the freedom to worship and pray. Why? Because prayer works. And last time I checked in the scriptures, two or three together work even better. We're an essential business. When we worship and pray, it affects the heavens. It affects the demonic hordes that are causing this mess in the first place. This mess is not just natural, it's supernatural. The thing that we're in with regard to this epidemic, it's supernatural and natural at the same time. And by the way, this is probably not the end of them. There'll be others that'll come. How we handle this is extremely important, but let me just say this. Because the continual shameless audacity of prayer shapes the world around us. That's why Jesus taught us to pray. This is what Daniel did. Day, three times a day, every day. Didn't matter whether his life was threatened or not. He's there before the Lord. Why? Because he had found it was the source of his strength. His connection with God meant everything. These rulers couldn't touch one hair on his head unless God gave them permission. He was rightly related to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and then everything else fell in its place. Whether you're a government servant, whether you're a doctor or lawyer, whether you're a plumber, no matter what you do, this is the way your life is aligned. No matter if you work for someone or you work for yourself, your ultimate boss is God, right? So Jesus in Luke chapter 11 tells us what we, how to pray. So we, he says, Lord, teach us to pray. This is, uh, you know, verse 1, just as John taught his disciples. So they were sort of caught up in the, like, how do you do it thing, you know, the very verses and everything. But that was one part of the prayer. So he mentions, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us our daily bread, forgive us your sins, lead us not in temptation, and so on. But he taught the, the subject is teach us how to pray. And then he really gets into the meat of it. These are all subject matters. These are areas we touch. But listen to this. Suppose you have a friend and you say to him, go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the friend because of friendship, that because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. 
So I say to you, and this is a Greek tense here, would be this. Keep on asking, it will be given to you. Keep on seeking, you'll find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who keeps on asking receives. The one who keeps on seeking finds. And the one who keeps on knocking, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The Daniel generation knows how to pray like this. They will not stop asking, seeking, and knocking till this thing's done. That's the way you shape your destiny. Constant prayer. Constant. Even if it takes, like Daniel, from the year 605 to the year 539 B.C., you don't stop praying until you get what you think God has for you. This is so powerful. I've done this my whole life. I've lived this way. I've seen so many miracles, so many things shaped. Here's the thing that gets in the way, though. We want it immediately or within this month and that month. Sometimes it comes right away. Sometimes shameless audacity produces amazing results. We love to tell those stories. But lots of times, shameless audacity lasts over a long period of time and shapes and reshapes. And there's all kinds of warfare involved and demons involved and all kinds of all. But eventually, it shapes out. And that's where we are as a church. We are the Daniel generation, the humble generation, a prophetic generation, but also a, a, a mountain-moving generation, even if we have to remove the mountain one boulder at a time. And in the process of those journeys we take prayer-wise, we learn things. We become better disciples. We become very connected to the Lord. And we keep our integrity. And we learn, really, how much we can pray for Daniel prayed for the Jews to go back to Israel because he understood Jeremiah's prophecy of 70 years was at hand. He's prayed that all along. You see him praying that again in Daniel chapter 9. And so he saw it in his own lifetime. He's probably 80, maybe, maybe more than that, maybe 85 years old at the time. Daniel passed, fainted, fasted and prayed for three weeks to understand a prophetic vision. And I'm going to finish with this. And this is sort of the spiritual mechanics of how this works. He had a vision. He had an encounter with God, but he didn't understand what it meant. And he knew it was significant, but he couldn't understand. So he fasts and prays because he knew he'd heard from God. He just didn't understand uh, what, it, what it was. Sometimes uh, God thunders. Sometimes he, he says things, and it's hard to understand exactly the detail of it. So he's asking, seeking God. He knew it was important. But I want to just read these few passages, and we'll close here, to give you a picture of what's happening on the other end of your prayers. You know, of that three times a day opening, you know, the window thing, which seems sometimes mundane, seems trite sometimes. Sometimes think, wow, man, heavens are stone. They're never stone, by the way. Your father always listening. That's why I said keep on knocking. Keep on asking. Your shameless, shameless audacity will shape your situation. I've had some of the most shamelessly crazy, audacious prayers, and I learned as a really young kid, because I was a little bit crazy, uh, uh, like... Uh, Anyway, I just liked certain things to happen, and I, I was like crazy about it, right? And uh, anyway, nah, I shouldn't say that. I want, to, I want to tell that story real bad, but I won't tell it. Anyway, let's move on here. It's not that, I think it's cool, but you won't think it's that cool. Anyway, let's just say by the time I was 16 years old, I learned about how much I could get away with in prayer. But anyway, so <clears throat> verses 1 and 2. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that's Darius, a revelation was given to uh, Daniel, we know this is probably 537 B.C. Its message was true, and it concerned a great war. The understanding of the message came to him in a vision. At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice, choice food. He's fasting. No weed or mine, wine touched my lips, and I used no lotions at all until the three work, weeks were over. And then picking it up. He gets then, 
a vision, I guess actually a visitation from an angel. A hand touched me, verse 10, and set me trembling on my hands and knees. He said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, consider carefully the words I'm about to speak to you and stand up, for I, I have now been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling. Then he continued, Do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding, to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. So how long did he pray? Well, look at verse 2. He prayed three weeks. From the first day, he was heard. From the first day, you're heard. But look what happens. But the prince of the Persian kingdom, that's an, a demonic angel assigned to Persia, resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, which actually is the main angel over uh, Israel, over the Jews, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future for the vision concerns a time yet to come. So he wants to know what the vision means, but the answer doesn't come for three weeks because a battle's going on, being fueled with his prayers. His fuel, prayers are fueling a heavenly battle in which two mighty angels are fighting. And ultimately, after three w weeks, he won. Michael broke through for this other angel. The angel comes and gives him the word that he needs. Isn't that incredible? That's the mechanics behind your prayer life. It's meant to encourage you. Humble service to God and to others. A revelatory mantle and the power of unflagging, unflinching, continual intercessory prayer. That's how we will do business in the future and the Daniel generation. Amen. Let's all stand. So we can't leave a sermon like this without praying. <laughs> we have one or two problems, don't we? Just a few. Here we're out in this tent with a plague. It's a plague. By the way, Chronicles tells us about plagues. If my people call by my name, I'll humble themselves and pray. So it covers drought and plagues. So I want to pray for this plague. I want to pray for our government, those two things. And I'm going to do something else as an impartation, sort of, of what we're doing here today. But let's just all pray together. Lord God Almighty, your church addresses you, along with all the other wonderful believers across the planet and across our nation. We just ask you, first of all, that you would eliminate this plague across our area, across the nation. As quick as it sprung up, I pray it died down. I pray there be no need for immunizations or anything else. It would be done. I pray it just disappear. As mysteriously as it popped up, I don't care where it came from, Wuhan or wherever, I pray, Lord, in America, it would not exist anymore. And around the world, I pray you break its authority in Jesus' name. We join our prayers, Lord, with the prayers of millions. Lord, I know you're hearing every word that we're saying right now. And all the words we've said before and after, we, Lord, we declare this in Jesus' name. Break the back of this thing. Lord, break the back of this thing all over our country and all over the world in Jesus' name. May it just dry up. COVID-19, dry up and leave in Jesus' name. Lord, we pray for President Joe Biden. We ask you, God, to channel his heart like water. We ask you to make him wise. We ask you, Lord, that you would help him and all the authority underneath him. 
We pray, God, that you would make them wise. We pray that you would help them to rule on behalf of the country. We pray every sour, bad idea that comes to them would ultimately be thrown in the trash can. I pray they would see the wisdom. If Nebuchadnezzar can see wisdom, he can see wisdom, and every other ruler can see wisdom in our state, Republican or Democrat. We pray for them all, Lord, in Jesus' name. We ask you, God, for the sake of your people at this time, Lord, may we have freedom, may we have grace over us, Lord. May good policies be enacted for our city. We pray for our city council. Lord, we pray for our governor in Jesus' name. We pray for the legislators. We pray for our senators, our representatives, Lord, all of them. Lord, we pray you keep putting godly people in place. I pray you'd raise them up. Those that have aspirations for office, I pray you'd put them in place in higher and higher positions and better and better places as they pray and ask you, Lord. I pray they would not give up. I pray they would not be timid. I pray they'd be bold as lions. And I pray you would raise up godly leaders, Lord, just like these people, smart people, godly people, prophetic people. Raise them up, Lord, all across our country in Jesus' name. I want to thank you for all the judges that have been appointed and all the other things that have happened during these last four years. And I don't care who's ruling. You're the ruler of all, Lord. Do it anyway. Put people in place that are godly. I pray everyone that is supposed to be put in place and isn't godly would not even make it. I pray there would be strange circumstances. You have all authority in heaven and earth and we just appeal to you in Jesus' name. So uh, I want to ask this as a response to your faith is before we leave here today. Uh, and I just want you to be bold with this. If you would like a new prophetic and intercessory anointing, maybe a humble anointing would be good to throw in there too. <laughs> what it is to be truly humble. But these three, I want to pray for an impartation from God. We've just been preaching about it. Let's ask God to make our people, anybody that's listening over the broadcast, anybody in here, that God would start giving you words and information. God start, uh, and if you already understand this dimension, that God will give you even more. And that God would put on you a burden to pray. So you just pray over your own circumstances. Some of you have given up over your own life and over your own kids. Nothing's impossible. Lord, I just release, even to those that think they don't have any inkling, they don't have any idea, they don't have any way they think they could ever be prophetic or ever be super spiritual like that, or ever prayer. They, they, that most they get when they pray is they fall asleep in like five minutes. I pray, God, you would help them to not do that anymore. I pray, God, that you would release a mighty prophetic intercessory anointing, praying for our businesses, praying for our kids, praying for the everydayness of our lives, praying for our nation. And Lord, bring prophetic anointing on us. Help us to see and help your church worldwide to see. And these prophetic guys that have stepped out and, and taken a chance, Lord, and been prophesying on television or whatever media, just give them grace and keep helping them to learn and understand what you're saying to them and give us more grace. We want more prophetic, not less. We want more of them, Lord, more of them, and more accurate and more powerful and and all the rest. And Lord, we pray, God, that all of us and all of them would be, in the end, in humble service to the King. In Jesus' mighty name, we lift all these things up to you, Lord. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Have a great day.